Well, welcome. Welcome to The Downside. Uh, I'm here with my, my co-host, Russell Daniels. Hello. Uh, my name is Joe Marcus Arezzi, and today we are joined by a, a, a New York Times comedy critic, author, uh, uh, many, many things comedy, Jason Cinnamon. Welcome to The Downside. Good to be here. It, well, this is a negative podcast. Any, anything, anything negative you want to re report to us? Anything not going great right now? Finally, a podcast with comedians that complains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're really breaking new ground here. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, so that's, I'll start there. Perfect, perfect. Um, you could hear. You have headphones if you want them. But we played our theme music just now. Okay. No, no, oh, yeah, it was perfect. I love, I love when people talk over it. But then I, I uh, where's your headphone? Oh my god. Oh my god, John Marco. John Marco Cerezi. Come on. I don't need we it. We just did our first live show. Oh, yeah, so I took this whole studio over to the tiny cupboard. Have you ever been there? Yes. And uh, uh, this is the first time I've taken everything away. And brought everything back, so I'm just gonna plug it in, and give it to you. What a what a wow. what a shop we have here! Wow, you go. thank you. That was the still there perfect intro. There we go. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Every comedian complains, but and has a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I actually think that's the more the more cliche thing than the complaining. I mean, listen, I I fought it. It took a long time, but when you go on the road and no one knows who you are, you go, all right, I guess I'll, I'll do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. No, I don't blame you at all. I think I would I would do I feel the pressure to do it as yeah. a journalist. Sure. But I mean, to not have it is weirder than to have it. Yeah. Have you ever thought about? I mean, Oh yeah, I've been I've had to turn down a lot. I mean, uh <laughs> John Marco didn't have to turn down. Uh, yeah, there's nothing fact, I him, turned down. It took him down. 5 years to come up with a concept <laughs> I'm going to complain. Yes, yes. You should have seen the pitch decks I had, and it was originally going to be Kvetch. No, originally it was uh, going to be you had to read a book that someone yeah, recommended had, what a, every episode. Which would I was have trying been to reinvent insane. the podcast, and I was like, "Well, my listeners will read the book along with me, and then it'll be a book club." <laughs> and thank God, I had Too many work. people in my life that was like, "This, if I had to read a pamphlet, this was oh enough." You know? Yeah, no, I love it as a journalist. It's the greatest thing in the world because you don't have to do any work. You could just listen to these podcasts. Yeah. That some of which very few people listen to, yeah. uh, and you can do a lot of your research that way. So it's very convenient. But I do actually have a. I do wonder. I the, the, my serious worry about comedian podcasts. I do have one. I don't know how serious. One I, but please. I yeah. This is what I do worry. I'm curious what you think because you're obviously a hardworking, uh, you know, comedian concerned about their craft. Is is it possible that we look back at this period when every comedian has to have a podcast uh -huh. and think that some of them have taken some of the time that they would have spent focusing on stand-up oh. and instead focused on, which might have helped their career, but yeah. in terms of their skill as a stand-up, yeah. it would have, there's a cost. That's the cost. I mean, I, I'll go further than podcasts. I'll say fucking everything. I, I would say the, the, Twitter, the whole do-it-yourself system uh, uh, begs itself for a deterioration of product. Yes. Yeah. I mean... Just look at the way we look at specials now. I mean, less. Uh, I mean, Seinfeld was the one who said a special should be special. That's why he's been doing the same material for forty years. <laughs> but it's it's. <laughs> someday I'm gonna get too close, too too close. I'll be doing enough shows. Seinfeld's with them. I'm like, listening. I gotta stop talking shit. <laughs> he's gonna bump you a Gotham. I think. Yeah. But I think I think of of course I think the deterioration of stand up is is a huge uh, bummer because the people who really crush it. I mean, who's who's. Who's touring right now to fucking stadiums? Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz. These people are pumping out so much content mm -hmm. um, that uh, uh, I think a lot of the stand-up shows start being coming about seeing your favorite celebrity, familiarity, the joke structure goes downhill. I think it's a, a disaster for stand-up. 
Yeah. I'm I'm a workaholic, so I think I fit in like the time. I don't know how much more time I could do stand up, but it is. uh, This is why so many stand ups get bad i'm sure which i want to talk about how they get bad uh, over time how many how many stand-up comics really release their better work later on in life i think oh. maybe Mulaney now that but it, or i think later also, on in life though, no but i think know, like but- because he whatever happened in his own life he's focusing on stand-up uh, louis ck of course which i've talked about like his 2017 was a week special and however you feel about him now he's doing stand-up so full-time that it'll be like one of those Rare. Th- I think it's tough for stand-up. Well, we'll get to it in a second. But let's get back to me for a second. I want to talk about my own part. <laughs> That's a uh, fascinating subject. I'm totally. I have a lot to say about that. The yeah. Matter, because I think you're. I think you're onto something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's. I mean, it's 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 hard. I I I, I do the TikTok game. I do the I do the game. You gotta do the game. You if gotta you're do like the game. A, I mean, look. There's no question. This is not a question of whether you one should. You gotta. And and in every era. They've done the game. The game has changed, right? Yeah. yeah. But the, as you know better than that, the game requires so much non-stand-up stuff now compared to when I started covering stand-up. And what you always heard from, you know, just to say like, you know, nine years ago, ten years ago, mm-hmm. is stand-up say, well, you need, you know, seven, eight years in the clubs. Yeah to get good, right? Every stand-up would say that. That was like, and they really were committed to this work ethic. Mm. Like if we were to believe them, right? If we were to believe that, that you had to f- single-handedly focus on being in the clubs. Before, and then if you got good, and then these people who got an early with a sitcom, you know, they're cheating, right? Okay. Yeah. We're now, I think that was not always true for everybody, but let's just, I believe that the fundamental of it is true, right? Yeah. That um, then if Tim Dillon is making a fortune and making a living off of podcasting, right? Of course he's going to, how could his stand-up not deteriorate? And, you know, I think I've said the same thing to him. And what I was, and, and, you know, he rationalizes something, you know, some answer. Of course you have to. Yeah. But I guess if you, and, you know, you could say who cares about stand-up. You know, the, maybe podcasting is more important to him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you care about stand-up, which I do, right, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people do, um, then I kind of worry that a lot of the ener- a lot of the energy is going into podcasting, into TikTok, into other things. And you know, you have to adjust. I mean, I cover. I didn't used to. I, I cover TikTok and Instagram and all the stuff in ways that I didn't when I started. I cover uh, when I started writing about stand up. I made a big point of being like, I cover live comedy. I, I only am going to write about someone if I see them live. That was, a, that was an original idea. I, I think that's a great idea. But don't you think – so my, my argument to you is that, like, so right now especially, uh, it feels like comedy clubs in general – and, again, they're not all in cahoots together. These comedy clubs aren't like, well, how do we uh, cultivate the craft? But I feel like there was a time where you went to the comedy club because you knew they were going to give you someone who is funny. Yep. Now you go to the comedy club to see the person who's going to be at the comedy club, increasingly so. So most comedy clubs will put up any fucking TikTok who, who could be very talented on TikTok, but will put them up for an hour because they know they're going to sell out. They're going to make a shitload of money and the stand-up sucks. So don't you feel like if you love the the art of, of stand-up, like isn't part of a critic's in the overall formulation of like an art and the cultivation of its its peak, the critic is the one who says, hey, just so you know, this is shit. Well, this is excellent. Like opera critics, I, I just think, yeah. I, when I'm, I'm no fan of opera, but I'm sure like they have kept this very tight line of what is good. And if someone was popular on TikTok and went up at the Met 
I'm sure whatever opera critic would tear them a new asshole. Then I don't know. I don't know what's your role in in the uh, continuation of stand up continuing to be good and those good ones being supported financially by ticket buyers. Well, I think uh, two points. One is, uh, I think also part of my job is to be open to new forms and to how the art evolves. So, mm. for instance, let's look at it from a different perspective, all right? Bo Burnham's new special, yeah. right, is probably the, the most buzzed about special of post-pandemic, right, yeah. inside, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's a guy who never believed that you have to go to the clubs to work for eight years. In sure. fact, he, did, he started uh, on YouTube, Mm -hmm. developed a completely different set of skills than everybody else at the time, right? He was the first YouTube star, one of the first yeah. YouTube stars. And because of that route that he took, he was able, and you see it in this current special, he was able to make visual jokes using, um, you know, aspect ratio and cameras, things that most comics have no clue how but to use. you call it a at a certain point, I go like, yes. I, Why? I call you can the, call it comedy, but a, a stand-up comic? I call total bullshit to any of this policing what is and was not stand-up comedy. In my mind... Do you see an opera and say this was a great stand-up comedy show? At a certain point, there has to be a, a delineation. A, a, opera evolves, too. Do you think opera doesn't change? No, uh, but... A, a, a healthy... I love Bo Burnham's inside, but I wouldn't healthy, call it... A, 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 at a certain point, it's why? not a comic. Why? You're calling it a, a comedic... A musical Stand-up comedic. comedian. The reason you don't see it, and I think this is a flaw of comics, particularly from your background, perhaps, which is that a lot... Like, people say, he has no jokes. Just like I said, Hannah Gatsby no, had no care. jokes. I don't Wait care about him. Wait a second. Okay. Wait a second. A lot of... That, is, that, that <laughs> special has a ton of jokes. It happens to be a lot of the jokes are visual. I agree. I don't disagree is, with. Is a visual joke less than a, a setup punchline? Not at all. And okay. I, I never claimed so the, that. So the goal is to try, from my point of view, not from your, from my point of Are view sure? as a critic, is to judge it by its own standards. Like I'll judge you or anybody else by their own standards. I'm looking at this and I'm like, all right, this is a, you know, is he good compared to other people working in this visual medium? And yes. that is, in my mind, the smart way to cover this. Not to say, I have this one rigid notion of what stand-up is. It has to do with a mic and uh, a one guy on stage telling stand-up or not. That, I think, is a road to uh, oblivion artistically. Okay, uh, so my, my argument, first of all, I yeah. love I love Bob Berman. I would never say it wasn't a. You can call. I don't give a fuck what you call it. I don't give a fuck what you call it. And that I don't care about any of that. What I think uh, becomes sad is when I do think of stand-up in terms of one person on a mic speaking, storytelling, punchlines, whatever, and the definition starts. It's I don't care about the definition expanding. I care. I'm talking about financially. I'm thinking about like comedy clubs exist in a way that allow an artist to continue practicing their craft. And it's a pipeline for people who like hearing someone talking on a mic uh, to to give money to support them and they can continue to grow and create great work. Right, right. When the comedy clubs start putting on more and more things that are outside the realm of stand-up, many times just to get an easy buck, you start eliminating a way for people who, I think the, the art form of just speaking into a mic and it's spoken word, whatever you want to call it, right. is a beautiful art form. Right. And uh, when the venues stop supporting the cultivation of those great comics when uh, uh, to to when, when Stormy Daniels is your headliner right, for the right. weekend and that's your one of two female headliners on the road right. I, 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 that year, then 
you are eliminating a space for them to thrive, which is why I understand why I think stand-up comics start getting so sensitive about Nanette and whatnot. I don't give a shit about what anyone else does artistically. I think it's that they go, wait a second, what about this thing I've been working so hard at that sometimes people are great and it looks like everyone's looking at all the flashy different art forms going, no, this is stand-up now. Yeah, but it's That's not. But, but no, 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 people aren't saying that. See, I, well, first of all, I agree with you, let me just say, about clubs have responsibility to support people not just purely on whatever gets the most eyeballs and yeah. brings it. And I think that, that uh, comedy clubs in particular have a particular responsibility, yes. That said, it's interesting to me to hear you talk to say that, you know, you're not saying it's, it's bad. Why? It's not a zero-sum game. In fact, I would argue that if you comp, comp, why wouldn't you want to, like me, have as broad a definition of possible of stand-up? Because as crappy as the economics are of stand-up right now, and don't get me wrong, what you're doing is hard. All artists, the economics of being an artist in New York are incredibly hard. Being, try being an actor. Try being, sure, that's right, how I started. Try being a set designer. You know, try being a set designer. Try being later. It's incredibly, incredibly difficult, and there's all kinds of unfair things about show business, 100%, right? But the, I would argue that the economics of stand-up right now are better than they were 10 years ago be precisely because the definition has expanded so much. Now, I, yeah, I, the economics are better if you expand the definition of where you can make money. But in terms of like people who I'll, do stand up, I'll, I'll give you a concrete example. Okay, in the eighties, okay, Eric Bogosian, uh -huh. Whoopi Goldberg, Lily Tomlin, and then in the nineties, Danny Hawk. These were all theater artists. Okay. Yes. You know, you you through theater, you understand this. They did one person shows. It was a theater genre. Okay. Yes. There was one person on stage. People laughed. You want to say the character comedy, whatever you want to say. They that was theater. Okay. Mm. If those artists started today, there isn't a chance in hell that they would be considered theater artists. They are comedy artists. That's a victory for comedy. Okay. The fact that I exist at all, not to pat myself on the back, but is a victory for comedy. That in the eighties there weren't. Critics of the New York Times systematically covering not just the Bo Burnhams, but also people going to every night into the clubs to see who's going there. The, a, a broader, more flexible, more nimble genre is a healthier one, is my point of view. And even people who just have a mic in a club, in my opinion, it's in their interest to have as broad uh, uh, a genre as possible because it does impact, and you know, part of my job is talking not just to club and club owners, but to net people at Netflix and Comedy Central. If they see this as a big genre, they put more money and energy in it. So I would argue that, you know, Bo Burnham's success, although it seems not, is good for, is good for you. Long term. Well, just to be clear. First, uh, this is this is a pro Bo Burnham <laughs> podcast. I, I've, I've never <laughs> been an anti. Yeah. I've never been an, an anti. Uh, uh, you're, a the, you're a theater guy, for God's sake. You yeah. should love Bo Burnham. Of course, right. I love Bo Burnham. But I've also I've never been anti Hannah Gatsby. I don't I don't think she's a particularly good stand up comedian in terms of I I'm a very uh, and this is me my taste. I'm yeah. a joke guy. Right. I I saw Douglas and I didn't see a lot of great jokes okay. in my opinion. Right. But. I have no problem with that. I, I just think the reason stand-up comics get really, and I feel like you know I want to speak for the for the comics here. <laughs> it's that it's that we're treated so shittily. I'll never forget because you, you wrote a book about David Letterman, and there was this comedy store 
this really masturbatory comedy store documentary on Showtime. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Don't yeah. get me started on that. Oh, they, they, oh God. God. There was you want to be a downside, I could go on about that thing Oh, for, please. Uh, there was this one thing about, like, yeah, Mitzi, jo- Mitzi Shore used to make some of the comics eat her puss to get a spot. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I was yeah, like, that was that's Mitzi. not funny at that all. That was just Mitzi. That's not like, funny at all. That's a fucking, that's, we've decided that's, that's a crime. Assault. What are you doing? <laughs> but... David Letterman had this moment where where he was like he was like you know back then we performed for free no comic would ever perform at a club for free now and I was like you <laughs> are so fucking out of touch yeah you have no idea and I think like uh, stand up comedy is is routinely uh, yeah but you di- but he's right in one respect he's been he was out of touch back back then he was never yeah. much of a stand up but uh, but. It is true that there was a time when no but no stand-ups got paid. Sure. Zero. Sure. Now there, it is not insane for a stand-up comic to perform in New York City and get some money. If we go in the reaches of history, we're all doing so much better than we <laughs> used to. But uh, uh, I think the reason stand-up comics were, were treated... So, I think it's just stand-up comedy is... is um, so routinely dismissed it's not thought hold up financially financially dismissed thought of as like it's all people compared use it to as a, what compared to what compared to a coal miner i mean what are you talking about compared to there's uh, compared no, to no, a, no, someone, we're talking someone in, the arts. in modern dance yeah. not the arts let, we're gonna let's lose so, bad let, let's talk about compared the arts. To a doctor i would i don't think there's a single genre of artist who is in this room right now wouldn't be rolling their fucking eyes at you if you're in dance if you're in off-Broadway theater, if you're opera, there's something. How often do you see opera on the front page of the New York Times? How often do you see uh, people paying big money for opera artists? Yeah, there's there's How, not a lot of lower level I think, opera. I think classical music. I think classical musicians are, music. are more often paid than pop comedians. Pop music? Are you serious? The, 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 uh, you know, ever since <laughs> Napster, the economic model for pop music has fallen apart. Sure. I mean, I would argue that... The only, and this is, you know, I'm not sure I believe this, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I was looking back over the last 20 years. The only genre of art that could make an argument that has gotten sturdier because of of the internet Mm -hmm. is stand-up comedy. That in the late 90s, you literally couldn't make a living in stand-up unless you had a sitcom. That was, everybody knew that. There was no mm-hmm. special. The idea that you would have a, a special, a career in making specials didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is such a new entitled idea that we should suddenly- I, th- I think that- it's very bold of you to <laughs> accuse of stand-up comedy. Here's, but here's what it is. As someone who loves the art of stand-up comedy, I think yeah. it's it's a, every every genre of art, you could go, the best doesn't, automatically rise to the top. There's lots of, right. but I think in state, here's my argument is that in stand-up comedy, I think it's, it's even more of me of, of a mix of excellence and mediocrity. Yeah. Brutal mediocrity rising to the top. And I, I don't think, know. I think you could make that though with, with most, every art. Most art. I mean, look at music, look at actors. I feel like there's tons of people in, in Do you every think opera has done painting, Do, painting a famous meritocracy. Only the best painters. I mean, do you, but have you itself, ever? Have but you, painting <laughs> itself is a joke. Okay. I think. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm opera because I hate opera, but I'm like, I do poetry think Poetry slams. They, They're they, only the best poetry <laughs> slam artists get rewarded. The world is unfair. The show business is particularly unfair. Yeah. There's, that's always been true. You're right on that. I feel you because you're in it. Just like, and I, you're not wrong that the mediocrity is rewarded in stand-up right now. For sure, and there's all kind, and a lot of some of the reasons that you point out are 100 percent true. 
But but you think all art forms are are treated poorly equally, and I don't think that's true. As no, someone no, no. who is an actor, I think no, stand up better. Stand up's better. What I'm saying, you, you're out of your mind. Stand up better. I know. I, I, I will know. show you because uh, you look at you look at a much higher. I am in the I'm in the sewers <laughs> with the comics. You'll never write in your articles. That's where you get the legit. That's not true. Shelf life. Here's an example. Okay, I am the theater. I'm the comedy critic for the New York Times. Yes. Okay. I uh, only write twice a month, okay? Uh-huh. There are thousands of specials that come out. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm maybe many hundreds of specials that come out, okay? Most of them come out on uh, that get covered, get covered on major platforms, right? Netflix, Comedy Central, et cetera, right? Yeah. If if you look at any other art form, right? Look at what the New York Times covers, right? It's, yeah. It's, if, if you're opera, you better be, you're at the Met, right? It's not some guy. Who put out their own opera out El Fresco? Are you guys right? opera singer on now, Times Square. This guy's saying. No, I have. Not, I did not review Shelf Life. Uh-huh. Okay, but I I watched it and liked it. Okay, That's now wait. Kind. I'm not trying. I wish to, you had said something. I well, there. I just did. I just did. <laughs> He's doing but, but but I watched but you're, it. But you're it. not entitled to. Or, or, everybody's not entitled to a review from the New York Times. Most of the course. vast majority, the vast majority, don't get reviewed, and I take that responsibility very seriously. Figuring out who to cover, who not to. And it is true, you, one of your early points, which I, I want to agree with, because I feel like this is more contentious than I want to sound, but is that one of the tricky things is that when people start out, they aren't that good. And then when they get really famous and they're doing 50 other things, their quality declines. As a, general, as a generalization, that's true. Yes. And off, so often the people who are the best at their art in stand-up are people who are actually in the middle. Right, yes. like right, they're Agreed. like, yeah. and it is true. I think this is a fair critique of the press, including myself, that we tend to cover the hot new thing, mm-hmm. the the newsworthy thing, which is something different. We definitely have a bias towards the new and the different. Yeah. It's in the newspaper, right? And fame, right? There's no question that pe- yeah. my readership wants to read what Chris Rock's up to, right? If it's good, bad, whatever. The, sure, I know uh, it's between Shelf Life and Pete Davidson's new special, and you said, well, you know. I did. I, 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 gave it, I, I gave Pete Davidson a bad review. You did? A negative review. But I did review it. Now, you could say, oh, I don't have to review Pete Davidson. Why should I do it? Right? Which is a totally legit. In fact, I, I wish, if here's a good downside thing. Uh-huh. I feel like the criticisms of critics are so, particularly of art, by artists, are typically pretty bad. Right, like there's a lot, but there's a lot of good criticism. This is a really good criticism of me, like, and I'm sensitive to it, and I think I fail sometimes more than not. That, like, yeah, I wish I didn't live in a world where I covered Pete Davidson and gave him a bad review, rather than there's other people who did a, you know, whose stuff is better. But I will be I, honest. I, I was. Oh, so go ahead. Well, I, I had a question about that. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there is that on all solely on you, or is there? Is there sometimes I would imagine there has to be pressure from from people to be like you should cover this certain thing like how much of that plays into it I mean not that like I'm trying to get you to be like no no I'm not I'm gonna take 100% responsibility but that's because I've been doing this for a while and I know what people want and I know and my job as I see it the my the people I write for fundamentally are my audience yeah and my and that's the readers right that's something where comics have in common with it ultimately. That's your 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 primary. It's not my only audience, but it's my yeah. primary audience. And among other things, they're interested in people like fa- f- famous people, right. big name people, right? And there, uh, so there is this balance to strike between covering who my reader wants to read about 
and who is the most artistically worthy people. Yeah. And it does take more work on a pitch level to convince my editors to cover the, pe- the, the people who they haven't heard about. I'm feeling this right now. Right. I have like, send, but I'm like, all right, here are four people you haven't heard of, but w- you have to justify that. Pete Davidson, it's like, it's Pete right. Davidson. Well, can I ask, because okay. so that, that's how it operates. It's not like someone says you have to re- review Pete no, Davidson. No, I, I, yeah. But that's how it, it is real. It yeah. is a real thing. I was surprised at the negative review because, and maybe this is true, tell me, when an art form does not have a lot of critics or like stand up, it's like, it's not movies. Right. Or, or theater. That a lot of times, Criticism, it feels like there's a lot of just rah-rah comedy. Like, I feel like, I mean, the f- f- Vulture in general, a lot of Vultures just like, this is great, this right. is great, that is great, ooh, look at this. And it rarely feels like it's an interest, like a really a poking, uh, you know. But thanks for writing us up, Vulture. Yes, we did get it. We did get a write-up. We did get a write-up. I appreciate it. Fuck you, Vulture. Please write about me. But it's important. I think it's important every every time. Because you, know, you want because you want them to 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 shit on. Not shit on. Wait a second. Be a real critic. No, no, no. To the, you're seeing other comics who you think aren't as good. I'm not criticizing. I'm just Sometimes, saying. Sometimes, sure. Look, in my experience, n- there's no one is a harsher critic of journalists than journalists. There's no one who's a harsher critic of comics than comics. That's that's what I see, right? There is I, no one who's a harsher critic of journalism than me. No, that's not true. <laughs> you th- I mean, people, the comics think that, and artists, actors think that, but it's actually not true. Like if you talk, if you had me and five other journalists sitting around, because the, and this goes to the point, which is that. Typically, the criticism of critics is clickbait, a resentful artist, jealous, net, right? Actually, you get more, a lot of criticism for being too negative, right? All of those are bad criticisms. The criticism that you're leveling at me right now, to be honest with you, is a very good one um, for, the, for 2021. Mm-hmm. And it's something I do think about. The, prob- the issue is this. I, o- I, only can, I only write about, you know, again, I have two columns a month, sometimes three. Yeah. Okay. I have limited amount of space to, to write. And so is it a good use of my time to be slamming things that you shouldn't see, right? It, it does incentivize, I, and I, I guess this is probably true for Vulture too, it incentivizes uh, you to write less negative reviews. The downside of that, because I am like an old school, I've been around, I've been writing criticism for a long time. I think a lot of people don't even think about this, but... The importance of negative criticism, and it's very important, one of the reasons it's important is that it establishes a trust with your reader. Mm-hmm. That if your reader could see you yeah, being like, I agree. Oh, oh, yeah, this, I agree. If you just say that everything's great, yeah. right, then your reader's not going to trust you when you say something's good if you don't say something's bad, yeah. right? So there is that, uh, there, that's one of the many reasons. There, there is the, the traditional like steamroller, as like uh, has been said, personal criticism, which is like if you take out all the bad stuff, which I think is ridiculous because we're not that. That, that important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I do think that the and maybe this is why your podcast is actually necessary and not so. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Unnecessary You've been waiting podcast. for this. You've been it's waiting. Man. Unnecessary <laughs> podcast. Le- the New York Times says unnecessary podcast. Oh no! I've been I've been I've been oh, taken no. out of context way worse than that. <laughs> What is, what is Chris's quote thing? He says, uh, the Rolling Stones has no words for Chris Caffaro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, to answer your question, to some degree, how I justify the Pete Davidson thing is that, yeah, every once in a while I need to say, like, I need to be like, this, this is, I don't like, this is a negative review. Um, I'll, I'll give you another example. And you know this. If you're around comedy clubs and alternative venues enough, you have a good sense of who's going to be a 
a star. You, you kind of know, mm -hmm. right? Mm. And one thing that's definitely prized in journalism um, and by editors and stuff is if you're like the first person to be like, this person's going to be a star and they turn out to be a star, that's like a feather in your cap or some people see, right? Yeah. So there is now, I remember there was a time before Pete Davidson got in SNL when I was in the clubs and everyone was like, everyone knew this guy's going to be famous, right? For a variety of reasons, right? Yeah. And I remember uh, going to see him and being like, he's, he's interesting. There's, you know, I think actually he was better. He used to be a better stand-up, at least that I saw in that Netflix special. Yeah. And I was like, it's interesting, but it's not, I think, it doesn't raise to the level of me writing about of a unknown yet. At the same time, I knew this was a guy that was going to be big. Fast forward like a year, right? There was buzz about him getting on SNL, right? And at this point, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try one more time. And I went to, I think, the stand, and I saw him, and he talked about And I had, I, I had to come up, because, again, uh, you have to work harder to get an, someone who isn't famous in the paper. They, it was, like, yeah. around September 11th. And so there was, and he was mm. talking about his dad on stage. Oh, I thought, I thought it was around the September no, no, 11th. No, 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 and no, I was no, like, no, Jesus no, 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 Christ. No, no. He started really it, <laughs> Much like right now. Much like right yeah. now, he, it's the, it was an anniversary. Yeah, it's yeah, September yeah. 11th, and so that you could write about him talking about his dad in this way. And I went to see him, and again, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's not good. Then, whatever, two weeks later, SNL picks him up. There's a million stories about Pete Davidson every day. On a pure New York Times journalism level, it would have been, they would have liked me to have that piece in yeah. the paper. And then forever, I would have had the first Pete Davidson piece in the paper. I had it like a year before, right? Yeah. And I would have, and people, you know, it was the, I could have introduced him to our readership, and then that could yeah. have but I still stand by that because that's what I, just like I go see everybody and I'm like, all right, this person is interesting or good and I'm not going to make my decision solely based on who's famous, who's not famous. That was an example of not writing about him, uh, uh, even though I knew he was going to be famous. But the, the, maybe the, the writing about him later, I, I, I did more so because he was famous. So it works both sides. Sure. Uh, there's one thing, there's one article that one thing I admired was your review of when Louis C.K. started touring again? Because I thought it was like, again, and this is like the inverse of this, like where puff pieces, like it, it, it felt like any, any review of it at this point, it's just like, well, this is a bad person and we should just be expressing how, how bad this all is. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but if you're, if you're going to write about the thing that's happening in the world, it's kind of like, if you're going to go cover a war, <laughs> you know, you're going to, you got to talk about it. And I thought like yours had, you know, one or two lines of, you know, I know this is complicated, but it was like, it was a really, how, when you wrote that, because you know, ultimately like you're writing reviews, but you're also a means of drumming up PR. Anything you write is going to be a pull quote and anything you write about is going to bring people to the fact that he is touring. Maybe they didn't know about it until they saw it in the New York Times. Like when you wrote that or when you thought about reviewing that, what were your... What do you think your responsibility is? That had to have been tough. That was that. It's funny you bring it up because it's probably the hardest piece I wrote that year. Yeah, uh, by far, and it got the most interesting feedback. I mean, I got like it got both like harshly criticized, which I expect, but I also got like some of the like most effusive praise for that piece from sources that I was surprised by. I'm not talking about like comedians talking about like in the world of journalism that was an interesting yeah period because um yeah how do you, i'm a 
I'm a, 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 a critic who focuses on the art, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I don't believe you can completely separate the art from the uh, context in which it comes out. And part of your job as a critic is to contextualize it in certain ways. So uh, how do you both, you know, write about this work and give it respect as a piece of comedy while not ignoring the context in which it arises for the most extreme example of anything? You know, before Louis, uh, before the Times wrote the story about Louis, there was no comic, and people have forgotten this, but from like 2011 to 2015, there was no comic who the press gave more of the benefit of the doubt to by far mm-hmm. than Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. If he did something, if he did a rape joke, the you could find stories that rationalize it as being a feminist rape joke. He talked about I race. remember when Daniel Tosh got in trouble for his you know, crowd work rape joke, and then there was this episode of Louis where he has a he has a heckler, oh, and yeah. he's like, I mean, he's like, I hope someone rapes you in the mouth and has yeah, AIDS. Yeah, like it was yeah. like a brutal. And I just thought, I was like, well, that was that was scripted, that was written down, and that went through a table read. Oh yeah, and uh, I know. Or that made. whole thing that when Daniel Tosh, the thing, when Dan, that thing happened, Daniel Tosh, Louis went on the Daily Show to talk about it. Why would Louis go on the Daily Show to talk about it when that happened? <laughs> when the when the Louis episode about Dane Cook. Was preposterous. Dan Cook didn't steal any of Louis' jokes. Really? That's ridiculous. I mean, well, we had to whole. We can go into the details of it, but the point was is that everyone assumed Dan Cook was the villain because he got no benefit of the doubt back then, and Louis was this philosopher king who had every benefit of the doubt. Right. Mm-hmm. Fast forward post, you know, New York Times article. There is no comic who gets less of a benefit of the doubt. Now you can argue if that's right or wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, that so that is the, what the storm cloud that's above me writing that review and I'm trying to not be uh, ignore the the context in which I'm writing while also keeping that trying to keep that separate from me engaging with the work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you also didn't I mean there was this like uh, there there was this idea and again like for any listeners who hate me at, at this moment it, I mean it's it's complicated but there was this like big narrative of like he's now he's now alt right and I was like that's this that narrative and I've heard it repeated like yeah. that's clearly one that like clearly stuck yep. because yeah. he made one Parkland shooting joke and especially as a comedian you're like I've made shooting I've made I've made all sorts of jokes and that like one means that he was like pivoting to the alt right if you know or familiar with his work is an insane thing to I'll, say I'll take it even farther than that which is to say that when you actually look at Louis's life right now right yeah. the amount of pressure to not become an alt-right. Yeah. Like, can you imagine how easy it would be? Like, if of I course. was Louis C.K., you're never going to get back your old audience. Of period, course. Right? But there's this whole other audience right now which has grown up yeah. in the wake that's dying to love. Like, there, like, how much would Joe Rogan love to have Louis C.K. on his podcast? I'm sure he's yeah. How much would that entire audience, how much would Tim Dillon's audience love to be, all Louis would have to do, like, to do one of those things, right? He hasn't, I would argue he's worked very carefully to not court that while still doing what he sees is what he always did, which always was this kind of, you know, towing the line of transgression. That, yeah. which, is, which I think what gets lost is that, of course, and, and you know this, but a lot of people who know Louis now only for, you know, sexual misconduct don't, yeah. is that his work was always pushing that line. I mean, I was just watching the, his SNL monologue about pedophilia. Yeah. There's never going to be another nationally tell like the SNL monologue national that's that 
dangerous. I think my first, my general frustration with the way we react to society is we pretend that we weren't like participants in the, that material. Yes. It's yes. the same. Like it's the same. It's the same. I, I've always thought with the R. Kelly thing. I'm like, we were joking about this. And like that doesn't mean he, this person shouldn't be punished, but the no one looks in the mirror and goes, "You had him on all your playlists, right?" And you watched the Dave Chappelle sketch about it and laughed and laughed and laughed. But then the question is, what should you like? I don't. I agree with you 100, percent but I don't think the answer is like to never reevaluate, right? No, of your reaction. Not. But I think and, like when people do the alt right thing, it's because they want to create a narrative of like this is the this is the nexus of evil over here oh. and I never was it's just it's just this creating a world that's cleaner than it is totally totally no the 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 portrait of I mean I saw recently that Louis showed up on a podcast yeah the Joe list mm-hmm. and, and Renan Hirschberg yeah, Renan Hirschberg and he was talking about movies and I was like he could be on think of the podcast he could be on right and the podcast he chose to be on, which couldn't be more under the radar, right, is to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson in this. And it was, like, very interesting. Like, I was like, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd like to hear him talk about Paul Thomas Anderson for a half hour. Like, sure. more than I want to hear him talk about, you know, a lot of things. Uh, and uh, so I, I agree with you that the, that the it, it is one of the peculiar challenges of being a critic in this moment that now you have this whole class of people, right, who... Some of whom are, you know, are like, you know, finished. Some of whom are sort of like quasi yeah, shamed, yeah. quasi not. I mean, there's someone I'm, I'm looking into right now, which is it falls into that category where it's like, all right, how do you be fair to this person while also not ignoring what they did and the discussion around them? Um, if okay, if if uh, and let me say also, you know, I am a critic, but I'm also a reporter, and I also. Mm. I also am part of the New York Times coverage of this stuff. So I'm like, I, I am to a lot of things that aren't obvious to people who are reading, like, all right, this, uh, this is like a piece of criticism and this, there's a piece of reporting. And sure. th- those distinctions do matter to me. Do you feel like that was kind of both that, that piece, a mix of criticism? No, that, that, that piece I saw as criticism, uh-huh. but there were other things that we did around that time, which were more reporting. Like when he returned uh, for the yeah. first time that, you know, uh, that was, you know, my byline's not on there. Um, but, you know, that was, and uh, there's others, you know, even the, even the original piece was something that like, you know, that is part of, part of the job is being like, all right, there, there, there is a way to cover Louie as a news story and there's a way to cover him as a critic. And, um, you know, it's important to, you know, not to have like firm, sharp lines, but in my mind, it's helpful to have some of these distinctions. Well, we look forward to the whatever the the Bill Cosby piece is someday. <laughs> um, so let me just check it real quick. So again, those of you those of you here, uh, this is the downside. This is a, a a very special kind of episode. We went we went right into uh, the theorizing about comedy. But uh, if you're a fan, check out the 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 Patreon. It's uh, Patreon.com/slash/downside. Bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, lots of extra goodies. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, uh, this has been, we're still doing more. I'm not ending the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I was just doing a little thing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, but, Russell, you're good. Yeah, good. I know. Uh, congrats on uh, the, the Texas abortion ban. Oh, I know you were Kicks. really rooting for that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, fun little game. Uh, his play. cat's name is Louis. Speaking of, um, it's true. Oh, I told man. him, I said, you got to put him down. I yeah, that for a That's long time. Long, in that period of 2011, 2015, <laughs> where we were all... Um, Louis Cat. I, I am a big Louis so, game. Yeah. So we... we uh, we went to the same high school, which is a Did you which, re- oh, that's which is something I, I every PR person I've paid thousands to. I said, just so you know, when you reach out to Jason Zinnerman, <laughs> mention that we went to the same high school. So you grew up in D.C. That's true. Yes. And now your mom was an actor. No, it was a, a, she ran. She started a theater. And which the, was the studio arena? Studio theater. Studio. Year I was born. And the studio, I'm pretty sure, is she still around? Yep. Yeah. Is she still running it? No, she's now, uh, she's retired and, and start run, still runs an acting conservatory, acting school. Out of studio? No, she built, she just finished building a new acting school, like a new physical space, like literally like, like a week ago. Like it's, In D.C.? Wow. Yeah, and she passed along to somebody else, so she's retired. I see. But I she see. still teaches acting. I took some classes at Studio Theater, great theater. It's one of the reasons I think I like really finally gave up on theater was I I had a I had an audition then a callback for Hand of God. It was the premiere at, sure. at the oh, Studio yeah. Theater. And um it was like one of the it was fine it was like I've been in acting conservatories. I was an actor, full on actor, mm. and I was like, Oh, this is a, finally a script that's good. I've been doing horrible plays that either I wrote or someone else wrote. And I was like, finally a script I can stick. And I, I went to a puppet coach. I got a puppet. Oh, I was man. I was talking I don't think we knew each other then. I was talking if you talked to me, I'd answer the door with the puppet. Daniel Day Lewis <laughs> this oh, role. Jesus. And then I you know, I went in and Again, they could have been lying to my agent, but they just said, and I should have known, too tall to play this high school kid. Interesting. They just they just told my agent he's too tall, and I remember that moment being like, no, I I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I like yeah. I was so I, it was one of those where I'm like, this is mine. I I'm I will destroy this part. It's mine. And then the feedback is too tall. I said, you know what? This is no life for an artist. I'm keeping well, the puppet. Welcome to being an actor. Fucking yeah, yeah, brutal, yeah. brutal. I, I mean, that's the thing. When you say like, that's the thing. I, 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 I do almost feel like I'm just stick up for acting. I covered theater for ten years. You don't have to I stick covered. up for acting. I'm, I'm here. No. Let I'm me tell you what happened after that. I booked a General Electric commercial and made six figures doing fucking nothing. So yeah, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. No. Well, if you if you sell out, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But I, but I, but yeah, acting is the fact that you could whatever too tall. Is crazy. Yeah, and the you would and, have, and they didn't say that at the initial. Again, I mean, talk about casting I mean, calls, auditions. I mean, I casting could, calls are anything worse than a casting, like being no. in a group of like twenty people look like you. I was talking about with line. my reps recently because everything's on tape now. Yeah, and you don't even know if they see it. Number one, but they, if the union had power, it would be auditions two pages max because yeah. they just they give you you know again for this play thing it was three scenes right yeah. Pop it. But imagine yeah. this. Imagine this. You study. You go to Juilliard. You, you work for 10 years. You get good at acting. Then you get up for a big part on a, on a show on Showtime or something, and they cast a fucking stand-up comic because he's got a social media mm-hmm. following. You know how often that happens? Sure. Yeah. Why tell stand-up comics who shit on actors 
or actors who become comedians all the time. I'm like, you are dreaming of the day that you will sync a sitcom with your shitty yeah. 2D yeah. performance yeah. on a soundstage. It used to be rapper. You heard actors complaining about rappers. Now it's comics. I, I used to do a bit. It became Day to Two Fest where Aziz Ansari's show, yeah. where he cast his his parents to play his parents. And I'm like, that's so cool unless you're, I don't know, a middle-aged Indian actor being like, holy shit, one of the three roles I got to audition for this year and you gave it to your actual fucking parents? That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. That's a good brutal. point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Hand to God. Do you like Hand to God? Oh, I love Hand to God. Really? And I wasn't raised... I wasn't raised religiously. I think I just love a angry puppet, and it yeah. was just great. It was funny. It was like actually a genuinely funny so play, funny. new so play. Funny. It doesn't come around that often. Well, I, I did the theater for a long time, and especially when it comes to comedy, some playwrights just like no comedy, and some, especially doing stand-up comedy later, you're like, no, this isn't a sharp enough joke. This right. is just kind of yeah. generally. So, okay, so your mom, was she ever a performer? She was just a... She was an actor when she was young, but... Mm -hmm. but uh, but not for long. She was a director, and then she she directed like two plays a year throughout my childhood. And what did your dad do? He worked in the foreign service. He was a government government job. Okay. And so he, we we traveled every six years. I think he had to go overseas. So mm. I lived sometime in Malaysia, and then I oh, wow. came back from Malaysia to DC. My bro my brother and sister were both born in Thailand. Oh right, and they're they're older. They're older. You were exactly. a mistake. I heard that That's right. on Marin. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, so what was the downside of having a mother in theater? Did you see a lot of shows? Was it fun? Was it good? Or? That was the huge upside is that by the time I got out of school, I had seen more theater than anybody my age because, of course, you can't... First of all, theater is very uncool. Un unlike yes. stand-up comedy, it's very uncool for young people. And two, it's, uh, you can't afford it. But I had yeah. seen everything. I'd seen you know, every, you know, all of August Wilson's plays, all of David Mamet's plays, all of you know, Susan Lloyd Park's plays. I've, I've Edward Albee, Harold Pinter. These were things that were like, I didn't have to work at it. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go you know, eat my vegetables. It was just around. It mm. was around. It was, it was uh, you know, my mom basically produced like the off-Broadway hits of the year before Got the it. next year. So it was, it was new work. You know, she also taught Shakespeare, et cetera, but, but her bread and butter was new work. So I had this incredible education. Also, I had education in the process of making art where that um, I think in, you know, now that I cover, you know, I, I, one, I we've been talking about criticism, but I also like covering the process of making a joke. You know, I've written those stories about, you know, the evolution of a joke or the evolution of a sketch or the evolution of making TikTok, whatever, all this yeah. stuff. And that, I'm interested in that because I grew up around, all right, I'm blocking this play and I where you know, I'm struggling with what, where, where to move these people. Yeah. And, you know, I remember she would, my mom had a, her set designer would build a little model set and she would use like sometimes my little toy soldiers to move around, you know, where to, where to move things. And so I, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time, but in retrospect, I was very, very lucky and privileged to have this education, which I didn't, you know, by, which by the time I got out of school, I didn't want to write about theater. But it, I kind of gra it ended up coming towards me because I was better qualified as a very young journalist, yeah. arts journalist. I was way more qualified than I was to write about film at like age twenty three. Did your now did, did theater have a good run? Did it ever have any points that was scary? You thought things were. I mean, was it pretty successful throughout? No, it was. It was. It was. Uh, it, was it did terribly for, for most of my childhood. In fact, we got bad reviews. I mean, that, that's another thing. I had very. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Like, do, how did your mom feel about crit? Did you have a different experience with critics? Did you when, <laughs> when your mom had a new play? Were you invested enough that you were like, how are the reviews? Oh yeah, she was. She was very. I mean, she hated critics. 
um, uh-huh. at, which also was very useful because I don't expect I don't expect you to not to to like me right now you might you might or you might not but i sort of assume that artists hate critics because that's what i grew up around and i understand it on an emotional level and also uh you know look if you spend uh a year working on something or if you spend you know five years working on something which i have you know i've written a book which takes five years and then someone spends a couple days working on this review that it's structurally unfair right i understand why you would be um, I understand the the anger that people have over bad reviews. You're saying, well, how come you don't write? People are most people get really viciously angry about reviews. Of course, my mom loved when it was a good review of her play, which made no sense, yeah, right? She yeah, never, yeah, she yeah, never, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll give you because I've talked about this before, but I'll I'll, I'll give you a piece of advice that uh, I, that you know once you've been being a critic for long enough, when people say compliment you on a positive review you wrote about them, you know you 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 don't believe it. And if people criticize you for a negative review, you don't you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but there's a few artists in my lifetime who have complimented me on a negative review, or uh, and those are the ones that you really really believe. Uh, those are the ones where you're like, oh wow, like if that like if I was like to a manager, I'd be like, do that, like because like to, if you actually because you never forget those people. Um, well, what is it? I mean, because you you were on Mark Maron's podcast, which you know, if 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 you were uh, covering a war, like if he releases something, you've you've known you've you've reviewed Mark Maron many yeah. times. You've grown up with him, seen him grow. If he came out and did a special and it fucking sucked, right? Are you gonna write that review that says this was bad? I mean, this guy, you, you have a cell number, I'm sure. I've I've done it many. I mean, I I panned. I my last apartment, the guy who lived down the hall from me. Not only did I pan his play. Oh my god! Oh my but god. I I walked out of <gasps> the play, and I wrote not a review, but a like a, it was a very young critic, but like a like a review about the ethics of walking out. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you if you cover theater in this city, it's different than covering other forms. You meet the people, and I used to look for many years. I didn't have this situation where I write two times a month. I covered every, you know, I covered everything off Broadway, everything Broadway, mm. right? So you you had to write negative. You had to write, you know, what whatever you liked it or didn't. You have to you had to write about it. So you end up, of course, and you see everybody. They all live in the city. They all go to yeah. the, they eat yeah. the same restaurants. They go to the and you know it, when you're covering theater. I mean, I've had people, um, you know, I remember there's a composer I called once. For a, was reporting on something, and I was like, "Is you know, blah 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 there," and he he was he re- started reciting the, the first review. the lead of my review, which was a pan. He's like a well-known composer, and uh, he's like, "That is a bu- that uh, that is a taped on my wall," and I was like, "Okay, I, I get it. Uh, can I ask? Can I? I understand where you're coming from. You know, I have a question or two. And he's like, "Yeah, totally. Ask me why." And he was like, and it was great. Like I have a lot of, you know, it was, but that is not an unusual situation. So to answer your question, no problem writing. What? That's part of the job is to be, I, I you, what one of the, the problems of criticism today is like some people and you know, the, the social media economy s- supports this. People want to be liked. This mm. is not a good mm-hmm. job for someone who wants to be liked. Yes. Yeah. This is not yeah. that, that, uh, you know, it is a difference between, uh, uh, comedy and criticism. Well, tell me this neighbor story really quick. So you were living in the apartment. Did you know it was your neighbor whose show you were seeing? No, it was, I reviewed it before. 
I wrote the review several years before I moved in there. What what play was it? Oh, it was uh, it was in the Fringe Festival, which you know when my when I was young I had to cover. I, I did the Fringe. You did the Fringe, this, you know. This play started at the Fringe Festival, less than fifty percent. Okay, so, so I know those those reviews, especially in the Fringe. We we went we made it to the Fringe Encores, which at that point yeah. was was nothing. <laughs> Not was truly which see, was, do, it was doing is, a second less it, popular fringe. But it's the bet they take the best shows and they put it in a show called Fringe Encores. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. And uh, uh, but those five days at the Fringe, I mean, I worked so hard, and those reviews of that first showing are very important. Yes, they're and, very and because in that people who are at the Fringe Festival, they're very actively looking at the reviews yep. as they figure out their month yeah. long. Well, there's 200 shows, so they have no, they, they, no one knows what to see. Yeah. And try, it's a horrible journalistic job because you go, like, I remember I covered it the first Fringe, and I covered, like, the first five years where you have to review, like, 25 shows in, like, four days or something. Yeah. yeah. And, you're, and it's burning hot. It's the shittiest rooms in the city. And, uh, and so you would go to, like, I actually kind of loved it. And took it as like a point of pride. To yeah, like, I'm glad I did it once. But I mean, like, your the tech, the amount of time you have for tech is twice the length of what your show is. <laughs> and so our first show, we got, thank God we got a good review. Who did you get a good review from? Oh, I, I don't learn critics' names on purpose. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it, it, but it was like, right. the show itself was, <laughs> was a disaster. There was one scene entirely in dark. Right. The lights didn't work. We had a futon-like bed. But the legs were only on one side, so twice I got up from this bed and my scene partner tipped over and fully rolled over. Like, it was a, it was a disaster show. Right. But what's cool about the fringe is the, the bar is lower to a certain degree. It's like, if it's interesting and cool, they will give you the benefit of the doubt of a lot of technical things if you're doing something interesting. Yeah. Yes, yes. No, there's a lot of great work came out of the fringe. Uh, and again, what we're talking about Pete Davidson, if you take pride in seeing people early in their career, which I do, and which is one of the fun things about my current job. Um, it's a great, it was a great place. Once you went to, I went to fringe, like the Edinburgh fringe and Canadian fringes, which are generally much better run. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that changes. But anyways, the point was, I, I, I was on one of these like seven shows a day thing. And I, and I saw this one show, which was about George, um, I mispronounced last name, Malaeus, was a guy who like one of the first filmmakers ever. The guy who made like the first science fiction movie like a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, it was it was not good. And I walked out, and I was. It, this was when the Times had like a blog. This is like the blog era. Mm-hmm. So I wrote like a thing about the ethics. I probably wouldn't have done that today. <laughs> and he had a point. But then when I moved into this place, I turned out that this guy who you know, he's a uh, you know he's middle aged to old, older, and this was like his big dream. You know, he wrote this he wrote this play. Um, I don't know. He he really he you know, loved this play and. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm on a what, human... Did you see him? Did he say anything? Yeah, I noticed the name, and I, maybe, maybe he came Did he up, walk maybe, out maybe... the middle of the conversation <laughs> and then write a blog about the ethics of it? <laughs> he would be in the total... I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him. I mean, on a human level, again, I, again, I grew up around this feeling. On a human level, I would understand that. Um, he actually... He, like many artists was like a total professional and a mensch about it and we became like friendly. Um, I wouldn't say we were close friends, but you know, I do think, and I'll I'll say this, I have been doing this job for a while now. And yeah, there are a lot of comics, including big name comics who like loudly hate critics. Or I've I've been, I've mentioned these minor, I've had people much bigger. Michael Che famously is very, very anti-critic. I had, I wrote a review of of, uh, Dave Chappelle when he I was on Broadway, um, 
and it was, I would say, mixed to negative. Mm. And he turned the next four shows on Broadway about, like, among other things, about me. <laughs> really? And you had, just to, to, reason, to let them know, you wrote an ebook about Dave yes, Chappelle prior I, to this. So I, you're a Chappelle... I'm a huge admirer of Dave Chappelle. I grew up... Dave Chappelle got his start blocks away from my mom's theater, his first comedy club. I literally was like, I'm just around the same age. Yeah. His, his teachers at Duke Ellington in high school taught at my mom's theater. I, I, was, I wrote a book because he's also like, I know the world that he came up in. Yeah. And I'm a huge admirer of, I think his sketch show is one of the greatest things ever. Of course. I think he's a, you know, uh, I think he's a brilliant standup. Um, but to give you an example, I, I wrote a lot of raves and then I've, I've written a couple negative pieces about him too. Um, and, uh, but he, you know, the reason I know this is because every night that week at like 11 or whatever it came out, I would get all these emails from like my oh. wealthier friends because it's expensive because he Dave yeah. Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and being like, Dave Chappelle called you a bitch ass, blah, blah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, and it was like every night. What did was, he say? What else? Like, was he, does he just call you a bitch for the <laughs> yeah. whole time? I mean, it was like a callback, I think, you know, it was like a regular and, uh, um, I think he, you know, it was, at the time he was, you know, starting to get blowback for uh, a lot of the trans stuff, right? Yeah. Trans mm. jokes. And I think his critique, you know, again, I didn't see it. I just heard about it every yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. It was hilarious because every night I would hear, I get emails about it. But um, to the extent I could tell, he sort of lumped me in with like these sort of, you know, woke critique of mm, yeah. you know, of of his work i um, think especially i mean my opinion in terms of there's a lot of these older comics and it's usually around the trans issue that they like make they feel like well i should joke about this and it's it, it's my thought is that these people that are surrounded by very liberal people they think they're being uh uh they're fighting against the man or they're bucking against the system or they're saying something really like edgy and maybe within that circle, but I'm like, I was just in Austin, Texas, and I'm like, go to an open mic in Austin, Texas, and there's 10 guys doing this joke yep. in a row, and you're watching it. I did this one show where it's like three guys in a row, three cis men in a row, we're talking about trans stuff, and you're like, why are you all why? obsessed with this? There's not even a trans person in, in this, the current room right now, and yes. you're all talking about it because you know it's spicy, or yes. that it's you can get yeah. it easy. And I think at that higher level, I imagine when you have a lot of money, you're with people who I imagine generally uh, trans allies are not talking shit about trans people. So you think you're being. Yep. And so I, I, I totally get when comedians are like, it's this very, I think it's one of the struggles right now with, with like being kind of an edgy comic is there was a time when George Collin talked against the Catholic church and people were like, Ooh, you shouldn't say that. But it's like, the Catholic Church did deserve to be shat on, and they were right. in power. Right. They were in power. Right. Go for it. Right. But now, like uh, sometimes, what is edgy? I hate the term "punching up and punching down." It just gets yeah. so overexploited. But, but there's this thing of like, yeah, it's edgy, but you're also like making fun of people who, in general, are suffering. Right. It's it's harder to be. Well, it's also, the, there's also just the the artistic arg, uh, way, which is that, as you said, if they're everyone's making the same, I'm going to identify as a tomato jokes. It's hack. Tr it's yeah, the, it's yeah. the new airplane food jokes. Like the can cancel <laughs> airplane food trans yeah. trans well, issues of the new airplane. I would food say jokes. more broadly. Like I, I will say this. Like if I if I'm watching a stand up special and somebody mentions cancel culture, I am not going to write about it. Like unless it's unless that's something they re or it's the, the standard for how good it's got to be gets much higher, not because of a political reason, although I have yeah. opinions on that, right? 
But I, if for it's just the most hack thing. You it, that is the airplane food of our time, which yes. is talking about cancel culture. I mean, I remember, uh, uh, I was, you know, th- there still are comics who think that is a new angle. It's just not. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really yeah. old, tired angle. So it doesn't mean you can't. You can never joke about it. Or you can never find a new angle. It's just the the, the, um, the level of difficulty is Cancel way culture is also just my money. It's just not specific. Like there's, I think there's certainly oversized reactions to certain things f- uh, fueled by social media and the Twitter algorithm. There's of course interesting examples everywhere. Right. But cancel culture is a broad thing. It it's it's. It's also it's almost like kind of complaining about cause and effect. Yes. It says like cause yeah. and effect. Jesus, some of these effects yeah. are really big for small cause. And it's like okay, well let's get a <laughs> yeah. little more specific. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right. but right, even just right, the phrase, right. you're like you hear it and your brain is like I can't. Like it's boring. And you know, you've heard like, it from I, every I've side, every fucking it, side. You know? yep, yeah, yeah. I think actually things are comics are starting to change except for like the people whose money That's comes directly yeah. yeah like if you're in the joe rogan universe i don't think you can afford to give that up no That's it was true, really true. interesting you're though because in. shane gillis was on joe rogan and shane was so much more at peace with like his whole story than joe was and but the thing i think about is like it's it's a paranoia there's there's a I think of it's usually white people and white male comics. There's a paranoia of, oh, I'm going to, everything's going to disappear. And so like Joe Rogan will talk about the cancel culture and you constantly go like, what are you talking about? You are the number one podcast, but it's this paranoia. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost like go see a therapist talk about like paranoia and anxiety. But I, I, I have a darker view of it and I think we have to adjust how we talk about it. I don't think it's just paranoia. I think it's cynicism. I think it's it's there. It's the equivalent of doing like sex jokes in the fifties or whatever. You're gonna get attention. It's cheap. It's now a way to make money. Like that. That's the reason. Now they don't all. Some people genuinely believe what they're saying about you know language and this. Yeah. But there is now unquestionably money to be made through yeah. playing to you know caricaturing left wing young people. Um, and there's just like a career, you can make huge careers on it. And I think we need to almost think about it the way that we used to think about people who sell out by doing a, you know, by, you know, going to go to a, doing like something corporate or doing a commercial thing. It's like, I, I, you have to do it sometimes. You got to do your GM, whatever yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm not like a purist on this. You got to make money, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's not your, your deep, chances are that's probably not what's in your soul. Like that's, and again, that, that, that is a cynical view and probably doesn't cover everybody because some people really do, you know, it probably, maybe it is. Well, there's plenty of critiques to be made. I do think it's tough. I I do think there is a certain degree of like in the liberal sphere, a sort of ousting if you don't, there there can be an ousting of like, you are not part of this. And I'm like, well, there's lots of jokes to be made about you. Yeah. Like one of the reasons I think like Tim Dillon, uh, if you talk to any comedian, even the most liberal comedians would be like, he's very fun. He's very funny. And part of it is like, he really comes at (laughs) at a very nihilistic stance that allows him to really attack some angles I would never attack. And plenty of times I'm like, fuck you. Or like, what right. is this? Or like when he complained about the little Nas X music video, I was like, go. He, I was like, get the fuck out of here. You played Megan McCain talking about wanting to fuck her dad's corpse. Shut the fuck, <laughs> shut the fuck up well, Tim, about little Nas Tim, X. Tim's most, the interesting thing about Tim is Tim was never, you know, he never passed the cellar. He was an alt guy, yeah. right? He was an alt, he like, I remember, he, uh, you know, he is very nostalgic about the like 
you know, big terrific in William. Like he yeah. was not part of this like seller crew of guys, right? Yeah. And that does give him a little bit more of an outsider perspective on some of these, you know, what we're talking like the, the Rogan sort of line. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, it seems to me that also the dominance of the culture war debate in comedy offers up these huge opportunities that some people have figured out. Like for instance, Gary Goldman, all right, like he is the same around the same age. He's maybe a few years older than me. He's a Jewish guy. He's mm -hmm. a, he's gone through. He was on Letterman. He you know the same background that a lot of people who are complaining about canceled. I have no idea if he actually deeply believes that like his defense of snowflakes and millennial culture, okay, or like you know the, I I I, I think he does probably. But put that aside, okay. The fact that his last special builds such a big chunk around this position. I was watching, I was like, you know, I have not seen this point of view in the comedy cellar before. Just from a purely, like, why wouldn't you take advantage and argue the opposite point of view? Yeah, it was great. I think ultimately the problem is with all these debates is like, I think the bigger problem is uh, internet algorithms that encourage a massive pile on in like I think that's the problem yeah. I don't care if some people think that my generation is snowflakes or or other people think it's not but it's more just like we see these wild consequences in front of us people who get thrown to the wolves people who are ousted that that's the problem no, it's, you're right. it's these internet that that's that's the issue that's is, the financial consequences and that's not a, matching action and that's a financial they're built to incentivize that kind of outrage, you yeah, know, and that's where they make the money. That's true, and it's, it's that's the engagement. But but all I'm saying is that it's, what's interesting is now you in what's happened from like a few years that people figured out ways to make money attacking woke culture, and now I think people are starting to realize, oh, now that that's become hack, there's actually this all these mm -hmm. new running rooms, and comedians are so entrepreneurial and creative and finding new ways to be an outsider. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's like Larry David has still figuring out ways to make being like a rich LA got famous guy still seem like you're an outsider, right? Comedians Him are splitting. It was, it was this season, the splitting of the private plane. Oh, yeah. There was this scene that, you know, he does it so well where you're like, Oh, I can relate to this in splitting like an Uber, <laughs> Yeah, but it was a private plane. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. what he does so well. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's a lesson there, right? It's like, this should be the least relatable human being he has nothing in common. And you see it with, you know, his I, his daughter, the reaction to her, like the, uh, you know, the the hate when, when, when sort of the tide turned against her, it got so vicious. Um, yeah. And, um, but, he, you know, that's because she's young and it's new and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very tricky to navigate. This, I, you know, there's no question about it. Um, anyways, but uh, I don't know how we got. It's going to be tough these days to have famous parents. We, I just did this SNL showcase. Oh, yeah. And I heard at least from the LA one, and maybe this one, there, there's just some people with last names. It's just you really? hear the last name, you're like, oh, boy, of course. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to be brutally talented yep. if, if your parent was in the cast of Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> I, uh, no, I didn't see this person, so I'm not talking shit, but I just know, oh, like, geez, I just, I, I'm not talking shit because I don't even know the person. Oh, I don't yeah. even know the person. No, I get it. Yeah. There's, but, there, it's, unf I mean... Talk about unfair showbiz stuff. I mean, now... Yeah, I have mixed feelings because there, there is also this thing where, like, 
some people are like, oh, none of these people are talented. They, they, there's no, just they, sometimes, yeah. there's sometimes this automatic thing of if you have famous parents. I don't know. I think All it's I know only, is that I, I was famous and I had a kid. You think I'm not going to help my fucking kid? Of course. Sometimes I'm like, right. well, nepotism of makes course. fully, it makes sense. <laughs> I think you're I not going to help your only, child. The only time it's, it's annoying to people, for me, is when it's like later on and you're finding out and... and and there's a the narrative from them is like, and you know, my parents said I'm always gonna do this on my own, and I was blah blah blah. Like I heard, I read Anderson Cooper did it one time, and he was like talking about, you know, they made it very clear. And I, at the time, I was a Ralph Lauren model as a child, and I was, and you're like, it's fine. Like you're you right. you're great. You're, you're right. doing what you what you can do. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have to pretend like you came out of nowhere. That, and that's where it's but like Ben still is. Like, I think you have to as an individual kind of convince yourself that you're worthy of it without that. And so I understand yes. it, but maybe just don't say it out loud. Well, like yes. Ben Stiller, he was the one who got out of the flack where they you know, they were making a short film and three people involved, Stephen King's dad, Spielberg's yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah. But, but like Ben oh, Stiller. Spielberg's daughters. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're getting it now. <laughs> yeah. But, but Ben Stiller, like he, he did the thing and I get the reaction where he's like, people were like freaking out about this short film that didn't matter. Yeah. And Ben Stiller was like, Hey, you know, they're, they're, they're good. They're good people. And people were like, fuck you, Ben Stiller. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. How dare you? And I get the, the impulse where he was just like, oh, maybe don't focus on these like three individuals. <laughs> like you could talk about the problem writ large, yeah. but sometimes you just like point at Steven Spielberg's daughter. Fuck you. Unless you're bagging at Trader Joe's. I don't want to hear about anything you do. Yeah, right. And Ben yeah. made the mistake of as a famous person with a famous dad yeah. being like, hey, yeah. fuck you, Ben. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right, let's let's go on to our, our next segment. This has got to stop. This has got to stop. Um, do you have this thing? I, I don't. Stop this week? I think, don't. Think for a second. Okay, well, you well, start. Do you have a this has got to stop you want to do? Uh, well, I, I, I have one just because you, your producer mentioned having something. Although Fawn I feel, Sullivan, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, well done, Fawn Sullivan. Um, uh, I did have one thought, which was the, which is the, uh, this is something I've been thinking about lately, which is TV shows are, this, this is a genre that's popular now. TV shows about fabulous, wealth, wealthy people that also s seem to pretend to be critiques of them, right? Mm. Like The White Lotus and Succession, and to a less extent... Does Succession feelings. pretend to be... Which do you think is guilty? Here's, which show do you think pretends to be a critique of them as opposed to just, look the, at this interesting well, story? Well, I think Succession definitely does, and uh, White Lotus... Do, does as well billions less so and here's the thing um there's always been tv shows about fat when i was a kid you know beverly hills 90210 and before that was the dynasty and this kind of thing. we always yeah. have right but those shows didn't pretend to be critiques of them right and uh i've been playing with there's this idea uh, it, uh one critic wrote this great piece many years ago about the idea being there's no such thing as an anti-war film that these people like Apocalypse Now, mm. Full Metal Jacket, that even the films that have the most Fourth of July, oh, Fourth of July, the, the most harsh critiques in portraying war, you can't help but make it look romantic yeah. and cool to a certain, and eventually, <laughs> like certain kind of dudes will treat that the way that they do, like Walt, like dudes on Wall Street, right? They, so every war film is a pro-war film, even Full Metal Jacket, right? Even, the, and I start to feel like there's something to to that about portraits of insanely rich people. I don't think anyone leaves the White Lotus thinking, I don't want that life. Or, or Succession and things, I don't want that life. And so my problem is not that they, that to make these shows or whatever, but I think there is something about it which is, um, th there, we, we have enough of those. We have enough of those. Well, I think it's, I think it's very interesting. 
as someone who loves Succession, I yeah. love Succession, and I'm like, well, sometimes it's my. I'm like, well, what do you want art to do? Right. I'm like, you, you want art to do, not you. People yeah, yeah. want art to do more than it can. Like Succession should, after the credits, it go. This is the Rupert. Ru, uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch family, and they are running the media we are consuming and actually funded this show. Here's their address. Go bring a guillotine. We need to get rid of them now. Because, like, because that's... I watch it, and I, I, I mean, I know it's loosely whatever, but I'm like, yeah, all these rich people... I mean, you know, I, I, I'm borderline anarchist at this point, but, but socialists... I'm like, these rich people are nightmares. This is a nightmare. This is all, it's burning to the ground. But like, what do you want the TV show but to I, I do think, about I it? Think, no, no, I like Succession a balance too. Of, of- What I'm of, saying is why are all of our shows, like what, 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 what would be better is if we saw more portraits of middle-class people Lower class people, or like, as opposed to. Well, I'm writing all... a show about my life as a stand-up comedian, and <laughs> no one's ever done that. <laughs> no one has ever done that. Middle class. Wow. Is Adam Driver going to play you? Is he tall enough? Oh, <laughs> he tall? oh my god. Oh. Um, yeah, I do, I understand. I'm, I'm not saying. I'm saying. Look, I want to see everybody. But right now, there's no question. There's a disproportionate amount of portraits of the 0.1% of the 1%, and. Uh, to me, the, the interesting question: Why is that? I'm, I like, I like. The truth is, I like all those shows to different levels. Even I like, you know, in some ways, I like Billions the best. Um, even though I don't think it's like the, as the writing is as great as Succession. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, but I think it's interesting that if you look at the way the press covers it, it's like a biting critique. I was like, no, I think people have always had this thing of like vicarious thrill about rich. watching rich people. It's just that now you can't. You can't put Dynasty on anymore, where it's like overtly romanticizing the yeah. soap opera of rich people. I mean, less Gossip Girl is that. I don't, I don't watch it. But, the, uh, but now you have to have this veneer of critique, which feels to me a pretty thin one. Yeah, it's, it's – I remember one moment I loved. I think it was the pilot where – was it one of, one of the people who was you know, helping them? They, they, either on the baseball field, they wrote them a check for a million dollars. A million dollars if you can hit the <laughs> and home run. Yeah. I think one thing – because I've made some jokes about – when rich people donate, you know, the small percentage that it is. And, like, there's so many people out there that are so programmed. They're like, at least they gave something. And I'm like, but it's nothing. It's them going like this off their table yep. with the crumbs. Yep. And, like, I don't know. It's just, it's hard. How is a TV show going to do that? I, I, no, I hear what good. you're saying. I, I like it. No, I don't want to be misguided. I get, I like the show. Yeah, and, yeah. And, that, and, I, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a critique of, of wealth. I'm saying that there, that, there is a sense in which the critique can only be so harsh. So let's yes. ha let's have a portrait of a wider uh, a wider demographic we have our of socioeconomic. Right we definitely are real. We got our fill. Only thing people are. T I mean, am I wrong that 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 uh, generally speaking, Twitter is skeptical of wealthy people, right? Yes. yes. So why is it that all of the shows everyone's talking about are all about oh, incredibly funny. wealthy people? Yeah, yeah. Is it because people just love to hate something? Maybe. Maybe, but I don't think so because I think uh, you end up rooting for those people on the show, which are the rich assholes we're talking about on Twitter. Yeah, you end up rooting for uh, who's the the guy who just betrayed his father? The son. Yeah, Kendall. Kendall. Yeah, yeah you end up like rooting for him, yeah. and I'm like, who's, he uh, killed? Terrible. He's, <laughs> a, he's a monster. He's a drug addict who killed someone and covered it up. Like we're like, we want that guy. 
Well, the thing, I think if you talked and I, re- I just read the big Sorry, New Yorker alert. profile of, <laughs> right. oh yeah, spoilers. Yeah. But yeah, the guy who made Succession clearly thinks, and you know, I look, I'm all for not speaking down to your audience. And he's like, look, he'd probably be like, obviously I don't, I don't want you to like this guy and I don't want to beat you over the head with it, right? And I respect the fuck out of that. I don't want shows to, yeah, 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 yeah. I want them to treat yeah. me uh, yeah. like someone who actually is paying attention and is, has level of sophistication. But I also want them to be aware that, like, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's impossible to not romanticize yeah. Wall Street hotshots if you're there the center, if they're the center of the story. Or, um, or I think maybe movie. make it more like kind. Of, I like the Social Network because, inaccurate or not, it made me go. Mark Zuckerberg's a dick. Like it gave you, like it really it talked about a real person, and like. You know, I want to see visually more ways that maybe Jeff Bezos isn't the best. Right, right, right. Because then people might associate like, I don't, I, I don't know well, if it's if it's if that's the way to do it. But I just think like Bezos is so good at you know, he lands and he wears his cowboy hat and you're like, oh, this cool space cowboy. And it's like have a show that makes you go, no, he sucks. The way I the way to do it, I think like again. I like if if more shows were as good as Succession, we'd be fine. But I, I'm of the generation of like The Wire is the greatest show, blah blah blah. Uh-huh. But the way The Wire does it is it shows you the human impact. Yeah. On it, it humanizes people who are not just in politics or in the police. It also shows you the impact on the drug deal in the corner, on their family. All it takes you all these places that you tend to not see in the newspaper mm-hmm. or on TV. And by doing that, it was showing the, and you're right, Succession did that with that one scene, with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. But if it did it more, it doesn't do it that often, right? No. They should do a spinoff of the guy and he cashes the check, it bounces. No, he doesn't get the check because he didn't get the home run. That's the whole point. Oh, right, 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 this right. This whole right. family was hoping that they would get this money and then he doesn't get it. Do and a spinoff of just that. It meant nothing to them. <laughs> it meant everything to the family. Uh, yeah, right. but they don't do a lot of moments like that. Right. And in White Lotus, there's the you know the character, the do you watch yeah. White Lotus? Yeah, 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 right. So there's the uh, the black female character, whose yeah. name, actress name I forgot, but Natasha Rothko. Yeah, she's yeah. you know she wants the money to start her business, yeah. and she's excited. But even there, I was like, I want to follow this woman. I don't yes. feel more. Yeah. I don't. St- I still feel like she's not as three dimensional no. as some of these rich as people. Some of the rich we're people. supposed to hate. I agree. And I think. That is telling. Like, yeah. I feel like the artists behind these shows are actually really yeah. more fascinated well, so with Rupert Murdoch than they are with the ordinary person. And it or takes they might know that story more as they're the writing it. Also, the pregnant woman in the in the in the thing in the the pregnant woman that has the baby in the first episode, and then we never. I, it was such a big deal in the first episode, and then nothing ever happened yes. with that again, which was strange. I, I just didn't know. I'm sure it reflects the writers' rooms, and it's just they're like, well, I don't know how to tell the rest of that story. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 it's totally a question yeah. of artistic empathy because you can make a good look. Shakespeare made great plays about kings and queens, and that's great. But he also made great work about you know ordinary people and drunks and people mm-hmm. in the bar. And that's the difference between good and great art. And that's why I would say all these shows, those three shows I mentioned, are all good, but they're not great. Yeah. Um, I got to this. Got to stop. Do you, do I have one. one? Uh, Go for it. It's quick. This has got to stop. You changing the format <laughs> of this thing because usually when we have a guest. I don't do this has got to stop. I do it on the Patreon episodes. And then I show up here in front of an important guest. And oh, you're, well, you're, nice. you are like, oh, where's your this has got to stop? <laughs> and I haven't done one in months <laughs> for this format. So my I, this has got to stop. Is I you keep a tell list me, on my phone. You I'm ready tell to me go when anytime. I'm going to have to do one. You stop me anytime on the okay, street. This so has got to stop. That's gotta I got stop. One. You got to start 
telling me what to do. You're right. Before you're right, right Russell. Okay. Well, that was very good. This has got to stop. I'm Fawn sure. Sullivan should have revenged <laughs> you. I know. No, no, no. Throw her under the Let's bus. Yeah. This has got to stop. All right. This is my. This has got to stop. And I feel like it's it's just related because I I know it's not necessarily saying you pick. There, there, there's a lot of lists, whether it be in timeout. You worked in, at timeout for a little. I did. So timeout, New York Times, we're on a sketch team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the coming up, there's always you want to be in the the 10 things to do this weekend. Right. The ba, 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 ba. And having worked with PR people, I'm like, this is this is so driven generally by PR people. They are rarely, in my, you correct me if I'm wrong, word of mouth. There's a lot of these lists I remember being on the fringe, all these fringe lists of you know shows you don't want to miss. I'm like, right. really? No one's seen it yet, and I'm on five of these lists, and it's because I paid right. someone money to write the person, and they have a relationship. Yes. And also the whole hiring PR, that industry is brutal, the amount of money they some of these people take from young artists. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting conversation about comedy, because I feel like it's a new thing. There didn't used to be so many PR people. The moment I can hire a PR person for this... I mean, I had a PR person for Shelf Life that I, you know, I ended up working greatly in my favor. They sent it to NPR. NPR reviewed on a podcast. That was a huge moment for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Fringe, I remember there's this one guy who scammed scammed me. He got the second check, vanished off the face of the earth. Wow. Dale Heller. Oh. Heller Highwater. I, I know Dale Heller. Oh, my God. He he vanished. Wow. Vanished. He robbed. And we were like writing back and forth. He got that second check after a show, Fringe Encores, vanished, disappeared. I'm not I'm not speaking out of turn. He totally fucked us over. That's insane. And I was warned. That's insane. And I was warned. You were warned I, about him. I, I, I was warned lightly. And then like we met and I was Wait. like, he, he gave me a discount. We met at the Signature Theater uh, place, oh, yeah. and I was like, "He just like, took your money and and ran with it." And did you and you did you, you try to he, he he got like a couple critics, like like you know who were gonna come, and he had saw the play. He wrote really good things, and then I swear the night I gave him the second check, I wrote nothing, and then wrote, and then disappeared off the face of the earth. Right. I I thought he could have died. I thought when my mind when someone disappears like that, I don't have a lot of experience with. Them. I'm like maybe drugs, bender, right, right but. Right. Vanished. Wow, wow. Hell or high water. <laughs> and their Twitter wow. account was like, their Twitter account would just start like posting like casino like it was like spam about a casino oh. or something or other. But uh I think those lists in general, yeah. It's kinda like you know when there's an article that's like a branded article that's supposed to have a thing. Right. Like it should really say five things a PR person told us to write about. And look, this is coming from our sketch team. We quote a Broadway World article that we wrote. Is this also true? Is this also true of like the Just for Laughs? Because uh, you're because you're hammering the press really here, and where which is not the only place that does lists. Like there's yeah. Just for Laughs is actually people think is really important. I'm trying. I would, I I'm would trying also to get new that. faces. I would also oh, say that I don't. The two times that we. But I'm right in front of you, and I'm in the press, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm yeah. not going to cover you. I would also, the, uh, I would also say no, that the two times that we have. We've gotten on like a like recently we were on the summer in the city mm -hmm. New York Times thing for our uh, uncle function yeah and uh, that's just solely because we do our own like th we don't have a press person like you have to like send outreach and they don't do it every month but they do do it once in a while and I would also say that timeout I don't think exists any in terms of their <laughs> the, when you go to timeouts comedy it thing, exists, it exists. It's, there's it's, dead, it's, there's it, dead it, shows still like, listed the shows there. are yeah. it's, like it's two years old now it's a sad story, so uh, yeah. it's like you know it's uh, I don't know how much those lists here's how it felt being like so, being as someone who didn't go to NYU yeah uh, as like a comedy team it felt like 
There was no way into timeout. You either had a good PR person or you We're went to Stella with Adler with whoever the was the comedy right. head there at that moment. Right. Playwrights Horizons. So it just felt like that element was... Ugh. And I also don't know how much effect they have. And I argue because, like, it's not... There's so endorsed. much... Ugh. It's, a, it's a, just a funny... I agree, yeah. but there's there's so much of that. I remember the first time you're you know, in the New York like, Times, you're like, I was in the I was it, in the list, and then you're now like, you're like, it's not genuine. They weren't coming to see all these shows and ranking it every week. I mean, you know, I, I mean, mean, the city is it's a big city. There's so many artists yeah. out there. I mean, think about books, right? I've written a couple books, right? You get a publicist at the post, which people tell you does nothing there's people who pay for other publicists right they're, they're yeah. like you're all fighting for this tiny little slightest bit of press right and it's not fair it's not fair about all right it has to do with how big your you know how big how much your book sell for or whatever and uh so i would say there there's definitely some truth to what you're saying that um a publicist in certain spheres can help um it is interesting though because it doesn't like you, you from your point of view it's like you got your publicist and you get it and it's funny because like from my point of view as someone who's like fascinated by the world of publicists I could talk about it forever mm -hmm. like and like Sweet Smile of Success is one of my favorite movies of all time have you seen it? Yeah yeah yeah. Okay that was a time when publicists were really really powerful right? Yeah. They could like change yeah. the right? and then you have like the period when I started in magazines which was like the 90s when you had these LA publicists who really like were insanely pot, you know, like mm -hmm. Tom Cruise's publicist, which would dictate what would be yeah. on the cover of Vanity Fair. The power of publicists has waned, right? Yeah. And it's still more powerful in Hollywood. The I actually really like theater publicists, uh, but they're, they had, you know, there's money to be made there. You're right that the people who run the theater pub publicity firms, they make, a, like, if you rep repped rent, yeah. you have a second yeah. home. Like yeah. you were doing well. Wow. Now comedy is a very fascinating moment because there was almost no comedy publicist when I started like 10 years ago. And now there are. Yeah. And it's an interesting question of like, I think no one's ever asked me like, should I hire? I mean, I like the comedy. I like, I, I think it's, you know, you have to have a healthy, you know, you have to have a healthy skepticism towards the whole thing. And, yeah. um, and I am, uh, lucky and privileged in that I am able to spend a lot of time seeing, I don't, I'm not, I'm not I don't write about anybody because the publicist tells me like, yeah. Yeah. and I don't write about someone who I haven't seen. Yeah. Right. And I'm able to have the time to do it because I, again, it's the benefit of only writing a couple of times a month. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people, those people who make those lists yeah. who've got to pump out a lot more stuff and they've, and there's no way they can be all over the city. They might have to depend on a publicist more and that, yeah. could, that money could be well spent. And, for and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the record, my wife is a publicist. Oh, um, but not an <laughs> oh entertainment publicist. Uh, I actually love a news publicist. Um, I love. But publicists. it's just funny seeing her day to day because you're like being in the news. You're like, if her story isn't about one of the travesties happening that day, it's very hard. And their clients will be like, "Why are we getting thing?" And you're like, "The world is." underwater yeah. and like blah blah so it's just a very interesting thing i because it's it's different it's not in entertainment but it is interesting to see her day-to-day -day experience who does she like, work for uh rubenstein and this uh that's yeah a, that's a huge one yeah they're huge so she's like a big deal yeah yeah and does she like her job she does uh she has had to pick up more actual like she kind of before was someone who matched reporters with uh people at rubenstein kind of a matchmaker sort of thing uh uh but now she's having to take more like clients in addition to that role just because of 
they've been busy and you know. So she's taking had, new clients. Uh, not you. She's not in entertainment. <laughs> The podcast. I don't think you're gonna afford her. <laughs> not a Rubenstein. No, not a Rubenstein. She's throwing us, she's throwing us a couple, a couple bones. She, yeah, she's throwing us where she can throw the bones. Yep. Um, now, I have a lot of respect for for good publicists. Yeah. It's actually a really hard job, and the people who do it well um, are like you know great for their clients and for the form. Yes. Like they actually are really, um, you know, there, there's all sorts of ways there's like a, to view them, but but in comedy we're still like in the prehistoric era. With yeah. that stuff. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, but I think we're, it's like, I've, I've, I think a lot of the theater, it's interesting that you had Dale Heller because I think the theater publicist should go into comedy. There's, 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 there's two, there's so many theater publicists. There's a lot of kids with rich yeah. parents just waiting for you to suck them dry. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, uh, all right, just all right. so you know, we're going to do a segment now. It's I know we do this one every time. The final segment. Your blessing. We got blessings. Russell, do you have a blessing? I do. Um, I have a blessing that my uh, the roof and the basement were flooding last night, but I was able to fix it, and it, it went down so quickly, and it, it, it was like going to be a it, bad situation in terms of water coming down the stair thing. Uh, the roof was totally flooded, um, but I was able to fix it, and it, it was within five minutes. Now, this is the it. deal with your landlord where like you get the roof kind of for your own space, but you got to do maintenance? No. No, it's like it's it's like kind of a, a kindness thing. I mean, we pay a little extra for that for the private roof thing, yeah. but uh, but because it's we're the only ones that really, it's our space. If something's happening up there, we I mean we have to deal with it. You yeah, know I mean we're not gonna call the the landlord and be like, you gotta come here and fix. So like it's flood, you know. Yeah, yeah. So but I was it was. It was a situation where I was like, oh, this could, this could, in five minutes, seeing some of the stuff on Twitter and stuff, too, be like a very bad thing that in the water all went down. It's good. Good, good. I, uh, well, my blessing is storm-related. For those, for those who don't know, we were recording this on September 2nd, September 1st. There was warnings on my phone, hurricane, tornado. Uh, I was in Brooklyn. I did a spot uh, on DeKalb, DeKalb Theater or something, and then I was supposed to go to LOL for a guest spot. And I'm going on the train, raining pretty heavily. I'm like, and I'm not a dropper. I don't drop spots. Yeah. And mm. I, I, I was like, do I drop? It was an unpaid guest spot. Oh. And they're writing me like, are you close? And I, I decided, with helped by, by my girlfriend, Tova, and uh, one other friend I texted to drop the spot. Yeah. And as I, as I got mm. here, and like, let me tell you. Thank yeah, you would have been stuck there. If I had went to that spot, it would have been the worst Awful. night of my entire life. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yes, that was good. And I apologize to the club for lying and saying that my train wasn't moving. It was. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> that's a decent lie. That's it. They'll get that's it. A, yeah. That's a fair <laughs> lie. That's yeah, a they, fair. they all died in the storm. Yeah. Um, Jason, do you have a, a blessing? I guess the same thing. I, my the basement of my building uh, flooded, but I had this actually very similar story where I was going to go out to see a show, and then what were you going to see? Uh, I was going to see something at Union Hall, and uh, at the last second, I changed. I'm still waiting to see what the deals with comedy clubs. I was supposed to be at Caroline's, which is underground. I was so supposed I'm, to be. I'm, a, I'm going on the over the weekend. Yeah, you going where? I'm going to Caroline's over the weekend this week on Sunday. I wonder. Oh, oh, you're there to see Rosebud. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are, I'm you, opening, are you going there? No, I'm opening for Air Griffin. Okay. Uh, just last minute. Gotcha. Uh, but it could be closed. Every comedy club is either in a basement. <laughs> it's in tight spaces for COVID. Yeah. It feels like 
as if there weren't enough challenges to being in these places. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, what's it like to be? Are you, are you, are you like, what's your level of anxiety about Delta going uh, into these places? I've, I've moved forward. I, I just made a conscious decision to, I mean, I, listen, I made so much money off Zoom shows that if the world, if everything went stopped again, I'm not worried financially anymore. Zoom shows. Really? I'm just saying, like, Zoom shows. He was doing, like, seven a night. Like, I would do, like... Are you like, serious? I, I, oh, my God. I'm flying to... So I'm flying to do a college in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, I, I don't care saying the money. 1600 And I'm like, oh, I made that same amount sitting where I am now doing a college for six people on Zoom. <laughs> and now I'm flying to it. There was so, so quickly, I'm like... I have to go to JFK for this money. <laughs> oh my god! So, so wait, you were doing seven Zoom shows a night. Well, December, I, I I was part of a lot of companies, many of which I'm sure are going under and are praying for the Delta variant to spread. <laughs> right. Where yeah. where there was all these holiday parties, right. and so I was just tacked on to these bills as thirty minutes. This holiday party, that holiday party, getting it paid anywhere from two hundred to five hundred for a half hour. And I would, there was a couple days I had like five in a row and it was not fun, but I was just sitting here just making a shitload of money. Wow. Uh, so, you that, know. Has that all disappeared? That whole economy of like. There's still some random Zoom shows here and there. I feel like I'm amazed anyone wants to do them, but older people, temple fundraisers, a lot right. of Jewish, there's a lot of Jewish Zoom circuits. Right. So I'm still doing them. I'm still doing them occasionally. The Jewish Zoom circuit. The Jewish oh, Zoom funny. circuit. Like Jews, Temp- like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I'm back. I mean, I was just in Austin. I was most scared. I had a, I've recorded a set for Comedy Central. It was my first like record for a network. Congratulations. Thank you. No. But the day before, there was a COVID test, and that was the part where I was like, oh, my, if I lose this because of this, mm. I've never been happier than that moment when they said I was negative. Mm. But I, you know, I went to L.A. I went to Austin, going to Oklahoma City. I was just at a casino in Connecticut. Yeah. I couldn't. Make, I, I was making some vaccine jokes about get the vaccine, and I lost the audience because really? it was that many people not oh my God. vaccinated. But wow. we're we're pro vaccine. Despite yeah, we're gonna go on a limb. Uh, yeah. So uh, anything you need to plug? Where's Uncle Function? Uh, but I don't know when this is coming out. It might be after. Yeah. Well, uh, if this is before uh, it's September 10th, go see Uncle Function. 7:30. Go see Uncle Function. Um, Asylum me, NYC. I think I think this will be before I'm at the Looney Bin. I'm at the Looney Bin in September, um, uh, uh, September 22nd to 25th. I'm at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle October 7th to the 9th. Those are the two big ones. And I'm headlining, uh, uh, oh, this will be after that. Well, I headlined the Albany Funny Bone, and it went great. Great. Um, Check out the Patreon again, patreon.com slash downside. Two bonus episodes a month, ad-free episodes, extra goodies, only $5 a month. Uh, Jason, do you have anything to plug? No, I'm just... Your, your books, you could tell, tell us oh, about that's your... Oh, true. I, I, I want to read... I, I do want to read your Letterman book. I wrote a biography of, of David Letterman called Letterman, The Last Giant of Late Night, and then I wrote a book, which actually the 10-year anniversary of my of this book called Shock Value about 1970s horror, which has had like a good long life, um, is coming up, and I they actually someone... I'm writing something about that, about like what's happened since. But uh, so you I should go on Zach Amico's. Do you know Zach Amico? No. He has a show. It's it's on. Oh, what is it called? It's not. He has a show about horror where you sit down and you watch a horror film. Like he's into gore stuff, which mm. I do not like. But it was something. It was like called Death. It's like a fake documentary about death, and it's all the different ways you die. But he's really into horror. Interesting. Faces he's, of Death. Faces of Death. Right. right. Yes. Yeah, the that, Faces of Death. Yeah. And. Uh, 
horror horrifying and he just yes. watches it with two comedians and, and comedians are there's so many comedians who are really into and smart about horror in fact i have like a pet theory that like the comedian podcasts are better on horror and the horror podcasts are better on comedy like the uh yeah. they, they because the uh because there's a lot of com comedy podcasts about horror and there's oh there's there's a fine line do you love Sarah Squirm? Are you into that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, I do. Like, Sarah Squirm is like, yeah, it's exactly like it's I'm fascinated hard. by it. Oh, I that can't watch. It's so good, but I'm just like, it's so good that I can't watch it. It's gross. It. It's like really gross. Well, that's more like, yeah, there is an th interesting thing. I wrote a piece about gross out comedy, and there's an interesting relation between gross out comedy and gore. Like, they work on some of the same pleasure centers. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, uh, whether you like. Okay, so gore those, or not? Oh, what are you saying? Oh no, no. So yeah, but those, those books and uh, my Twitter handle is at Zinnerman. At Zinnerman. Uh, well, whether you like gore humor or not, you will one day be gore, and <laughs> be eaten by the earth. One, this ten, is the downside. Three. downside.